Hello, hello everybody. Hello. It's really a joy uh, um, to be coming, um, <clears throat> zooming in from our little vacation. Um, and, and this was kind of like semi-planned, semi-not planned. Uh, we don't have to share screen anymore because there's, I don't have slides um, for, uh, as we share today. Um, it will be just slightly unusual, slightly unusual um, for us. But I think we can get through with this, right? You know, in the old days, uh, um, uh, you know, all these all these great evangelists and all guys, they would like preach outdoors with with like you know no sound system. I really don't know how they do it, right? They'll preach outdoors to thousands with no sound system, and maybe their amphitheaters had good acoustics. But I'm sure, I'm sure they had to grow a big voice, and I'm sure that their audiences had to <laughs> had to. Um, track it purely as a as an auditorial thing so today we're gonna remember what it's like to uh to be to, to be living in the 1800s and listening to a preacher with no slides okay <laughs> 1800s okay today will be a little bit more conversational as you can tell i'm on vacation i don't even look like myself today um everything is back yeah back to basics you know um i don't have my physical copy of my bible with me which made finishing up this sermon just a little bit harder because i've got super a lot of my written notes in it you know but we're good if you've got your Bibles with you, and you should because you're at home and somewhere in your house, your Bible should be there, right? Um, uh, turn with me to John chapter 1, the very end of John chapter 1, okay? Uh, very end of John chapter 1, uh, or, or if you're on digital, I prefer to go straight to John 2 and then scroll up just a little bit, right? Okay, I'm going to show it on the screen uh, for you, okay? There is a little, this is just the text. Can you guys see it on the screen? Just raise your hands. <coughs> All right. Um, uh, I'm just going to give a little bit of context. And then we're going to add to, to this whole John chapter one part, which is really a context for what I'm going to share today. Now, what you're seeing here is Jesus, John chapter one. It's very early in the narrative. Jesus is calling his disciples. He um, goes uh, to, to, to some of them. He calls them. And then there's a little exchange. Philip from Bethsaida, um, the city of um, Andrew and Peter. Philip was from Bethsaida, um, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael, okay, said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote Jesus <clears throat> of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? We have found this guy. This guy called Jesus of Nazareth is the one Moses and the prophets wrote about. Nathanael said to him, really like, you know, just trivializing it like, right? Like, um, can anything good come out from Nazareth? You know, um, it's it's really a cultural slur. Um, it's really a dismissive comment. It's like if you had to think about one place in Malaysia that you would say, can anything come out of X Y Z? You know, um, depending on how how culturally uh, snobbish you are about um, okay, so about KL or let's say let's say let's say you're a KL person lah. Okay. Um, and then someone say, wow, Johor Baru, Sinswa, huh, can anything come out? Can anything good come out of, of, of JB, you know? Um, or let's say you're Penangai and, and you're talking about food and people are saying, KL food, very good. And you're like, 
can anything good come out of KL, right? So this is a little bit like that, okay? <laughs> so then, it's a little bit like that. Wow, why, why, why I'm stoking this kind of fire today? <laughs> Anyways, Nathaniel said that, Philip said to him, sure, no. you don't believe, come and see, right? He says, come and see, for real. Some good food came out from KL, right? And then he said, um, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, right? And said of Nathaniel. So Jesus speaks about Nathaniel to Nathaniel. Behold, an Israelite indeed whom there is no deceit. Which is already quite weird because he was just giving some super action kind of a, a, a dismissive comment but jesus acknowledged him uh, in an interesting way he said that behold an israelite in whom there is no deceit right and nathaniel said how do you know me jesus answered before philip called you when you were under the fig tree i saw you nathaniel's like how you know i'm under the fig tree right how you know how you saw how you know right so Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. And he's like, I imagine him jaw drop like, OMG, right? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the, now hear this, king of Israel, right? You are the king of Israel. This is a messianic uh, uh, confession. This is a messianic uh, uh, um, declaration. Right, um, And Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then Jesus continued to say, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, a few things that this is going to propel us to one minor one one major one okay the minor propulsion is this right when jesus when nathaniel says wow rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of israel okay this remind does this remind you of any other bible verse in the gospels if it reminds you of something can you say in the chat Okay, I can't see it in the chat because I'm in share screen mode you know and and everything is weird in share screen mode but um how many of you, it reminds you of another disciple confessing Jesus' uh, 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 character and identity, his messianic identity before? You guys remember that? It is Peter in Matthew chapter 16, um, verse 17, right? Um, when, verse 16, right? But just before that, when, when Peter says to Jesus, <clears throat> or rather Jesus says to the disciples, um, some people say I'm, I'm Elijah, some people say I'm John the Baptist, some people say I'm whatever. Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Right? But it was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And then he flips back and says, and I tell you, because Peter was just telling Jesus, I tell you, you are the Son of God, right? You are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel. And then there's a bit of an identity exchange here. Peter says, I can see who you for who you are. 
Jesus says back to Peter, I can see you for who you are. I tell you, you are Peter. You are Petrus, right? Petrus means the rock, right? You are Cephas, right? And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <clears throat> Where did this come from? My gosh, right? The gate you, I will build my church upon you, upon you and your confession. I think different Christian traditions read that part differently. If you ask a, a, a Roman Catholic, they will say, I will build my church upon you, Peter, right? And then your apostolic line, Peter, right? Um, and if you ask a Protestant, they will say, upon you, your confession, right? Your confession that I am the king, right? Um, uh, upon this confession, I will build my church. The church will always confess. The church will always declare, I am king. The church will, uh, will forever sing songs with choruses that end with words like, praise forever to the king of kings, right? Why do we sing songs like that? It's because we are a people who declare he is king. And when we do that, several things will happen. When we are a people who declare him as king, then the church is built upon that, both the confession, but it's also built upon the people, the people confessing Christ as king. The church is built on ground like that. <clears throat> and the gates of hell cannot prevail against people who confess Jesus as the king. Right? Amen? And so that's one place. And Nathaniel's story bounces us over to the Peter story where we see the power of the confession of Jesus as a king. Not just a king, but the king. The one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, let's go back to Nathaniel because from Nathaniel, I'm going to bounce you back into the Old Testament. What does Jesus say to Nathaniel upon his confession, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Rabbi, you are the king of Israel. Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, just gonna pause here for a moment. When you see this Bible verse, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, you get a picture. Now, every time we read our Bibles, there's a mental picture. But I realize that there are two different mental pictures you could get. Okay, so I want to take a quick poll, and in order to do that, I'm going to stop share, and I'm going to uh, uh, have my chat up <clears throat> because I want to help you see which I want to see which two of which of the two pictures you see. Picture A. You see Jesus at the bottom of a ladder and the angels are ascending and descending down to land on Jesus who is at the bottom of the ladder. Okay, that's one picture you could see. There is another picture. The other picture is that there is a ladder and Jesus is the ladder and the angels of God are ascending and descending on Jesus. Okay. So you can either say bottom for bottom of the ladder or ladder for the ladder, right? Okay, okay. say in the chat, say in the chat because I'm very curious. Do you imagine Jesus at the bottom of the ladder and the 
angels ascending and descending onto Jesus, who is the receiving end of the bottom of the ladder, or Jesus is the ladder. Lion of Bulo saw it as the bottom of the ladder. Bill sees the ladder, right? Kedikan sees Jesus as the ladder. Jesus is the ladder. Fascinating, right? Fascinating, right? Okay, so we see that some of us will see it one way or another. Now, um, the, 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 okay, not for the Matthew verse, okay, but there is another very fascinating verse where we're going to see this, look at this in Genesis. We'll get to that in a moment. But what's important, okay, I'm, I'm sure it's important whether you see Jesus as the ladder or whether you see Jesus as the receiving end of the ladder, but regardless, what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, you are going to see something miraculous. You are going to have eyes to see in the angelic realm, in the spiritual realm. You're going to give, I'm going to give you spiritual eyes because you have confessed Jesus as the king. Now, this is very important. Because you have confessed Jesus as the king, you're going to have spiritual eyes to see spiritual transaction. Somebody see that? You're going to have eyes to see spiritual transaction and this spiritual transaction is going to happen because Jesus is the, 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 the transit point. Last week, Ellie shared about Jesus being the gate and how you enter through the narrow gate, you enter through Jesus and Jesus is the transit point. You go from X into Y transiting through Jesus. This part of my sermon really takes off from what Ali was saying last week. Jesus is the transit point between heaven and earth. Jesus is the gate between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. He is the ladder. He is also the transit point out of the ladder into the world we live in. And that's very important. Number one, okay, this I'm going to be careful about my points, okay? Um, God, don't just go simply say number one. Number one is later. But one thing we're going to see here is that when Jesus is declared as Lord, immediately you have capacity to see, right? Because the Holy Spirit gives you sight, right? Um, and Jesus declares this over Nathaniel that you will, you are going to see it, okay? Maybe I shouldn't say immediately, but Jesus is going to start giving you spiritual sight and insight to perceive the transactions of heaven and earth. Now, why is it important? To, is there even such a thing as transaction between heaven and earth? So I just want to deal with this. I've dealt with this before, but I don't want to imagine we always remember. You are considered, at least I would consider you over-spiritual. Have you ever heard this expression? Oh, uh, yeah, don't listen to this man. He's over-spiritual. He always over-spiritualizes things, right? We talk like that. I would consider you over-spiritual if you only consider the spiritual factors that are at work in any situation. Okay? So, um, little kid gets fever, oh, demonic attack. Okay? Um, 
at, at this point, oh, a uh, uh, crow just uh, flew by. Oh, spirit, spiritual thing, you know. Um, some people who have Jesus, uh, um, uh, they will say this is spiritual lens, right? People who don't have Jesus, we say, oh, you're superstitious, right? Um, you are considered over-spiritual if you only see the spiritual factor in anything. Now, you are considered under-spiritual, I would consider you under-spiritual, if you only see the physical element in the things happening around us, right? Meaning that um, everything also is like, oh, um, uh, fever can only be this, can only be that. And then the moment you suggest to pray, you say, no need to pray. This, this can be medicated away, right? This, this is nothing, right? Or even, of course, I'm using the most mundane examples, but you understand what I'm trying to say. All of our world, as I think it was, it was Tay who shared that um, uh, in her sermon about uh, about the parable of the of the of the of the wheat and the weeds, right? That and, and to help us to see that it's not like heaven is up there and earth is down here in the in, in a very spatial sense, right? Um, but it is that the heavens and the earth. Um, uh, actually intermingle okay and it's like portals right it's like gates which is exactly what's happening with nathaniel right now right here i'm going to give you eyes to see transacting points between uh, spiritual um, factors and physical factors so to help us all understand because i really i really want to make sure so below church we get not just the right theology on this but a balanced theology on this right um there is a spiritual and a physical element to everything. We live in a world that is both physical and spiritual always, always. There is no arena where in our world where spiritual factors are very low and physical factors are very high, not even in the operating theater in a big hospital, not even there. Right? Um, and there is no arena in our life where the spiritual factor is very high and the physical factor is very negligible. Not even in an uh, overnight prayer altar. Right? In every arena of our lives, physical and spiritual meet and intermingle. The only question is, what kind of gates are being opened? And along with the what kind of gates that are being opened, who has access from the spiritual world to enter the physical world and cause and, and, to, and to establish and influence the atmosphere that we experience in a world that is simultaneously physical and spiritual? Who has access into that space? Who from the spiritual world has access into uh, um, our world so that they can cause and to establish influence? And what kind of physicality, what kind of physical factors determine and, and set the temperature for what's happening in the, in the spiritual space? Both interact with each other. They always do. So Sungai Bulo people, uh, our church, we are not going to be over-spiritual. We are not going to be under-spiritual. We are going to be spiritual. 
we're going to have a balanced theology that acknowledges the realities of both the spirit world and the physical world intermingling in, in, in ratios that we cannot understand. And we don't need to understand. Our mathematical ratios do not work. Uh, um, uh, and and we, there is no, it's not quantifiable that way. Why am I saying this? Why is this important? Because we are in the midst of 40 days. And I want to share with you um, the importance of, of altars in the context of kingdom. Now, maybe you think like, dude, dude, you just brought two totally different concepts um, that I experienced in church together, right? Um, uh, maybe, right? Maybe, maybe when you when you hear kingdom, what do you what do you think of? Maybe you think of the gospels. Maybe you think of Gospel of Matthew, right? When you hear kingdom, maybe you think of um, uh, maybe some churches in America, like you know, um, maybe you think of Jesus culture. Maybe you think of uh, 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 I don't know. I don't know what you think of when you hear kingdom. Maybe when you think of kingdom, you think of Sunai Bulo Church. Right? Um, because that's something we talk about quite often. When you think of altars, what do you think about? Naturally, what do you think about? Do you think of, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to take a pun here, okay? Some of you, the moment you hear the word altars, you think of an African pastor. True or not? You, some of you will think of sacrifice. Right, especially if you come from a Taoist background, a Buddhist background, you may think of that altar. You may think of some kind of sacrifice. Right, um, some of us who were introduced to the idea of prayer altars through uh, visiting pastors from Uganda and Kenya, we think of an African pastor. If sometimes I can't help it, I think of Pastor Lichu when I hear of the hear the word altar. Right, now we think of all kinds of things, you know, but. I would love for you, when you hear kingdom, you see Jesus. And when you hear altar, you see the cross. When you hear kingdom, you see the cross. Actually, Jesus on the cross. And when you hear altar, you see Jesus on the cross. Right? Um, why and how is Jesus on the cross, both king both kingdom and altar at the same time. In fact, I'm, I'm like really walking into territory that I did not even plan, but most of this sermon was not planned anyway. So let's go. An altar is a place of sacrifice. The holiness and the power of an altar is to a large extent determined by the preciousness of the sacrifice that is on the altar. You serve up worthless sacrifice what's the power of an altar like that what's the power of the prayer offered at an altar where you serve up really crummy sacrifice that's why in the in the levitical law the sacrifice you were supposed to select out of your herd is the spotless creatures the the lamb without blemish, it is the, the goat that has no mark on it, you know, um, you bring your best to the altar. And somehow, by some spiritual economics, God says, when you bring me your best, there is power in that altar. And I think it's because God is going to give his best at the most powerful altar there is. And the most powerful altar there is, is the one on which the most precious sacrifice 
was sacrificed. And we saw the first picture of it when Abraham close to sacrifices Isaac. That is, up until ever the most precious sacrifice any man would be prepared, any woman for that matter, would be prepared to lay down at some altar. The obedience level, the sacrifice level, the 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 the, the preparedness level, the adoration of God level is through the roof. When you can get to a place where you would, for Abraham, put his own son on the line. God stopped him. Today we are not called to put our sons and daughters um, uh, to be sacrificed in the name of Jesus um, because Jesus went to the cross and was sacrificed for us so that we don't have to perform child sacrifice in order to invoke a power. God gave up his own son so that in the declaration that this son is my king, there is untold power, untold spiritual and physical power being unleashed in the confession of Christ as king. Now, it's necessary for us to understand. It's necessary for us to understand that the cross is the most powerful altar of all. The most powerful sacrifice, the most powerful cross, the most powerful altar, the most powerful place of invoking the power of God, right? And that's why when Jesus died, earthquake, the temple uh, uh, curtain was split into two. And from that point onwards, the whole of eternity has been shaken, shifted, and we no longer live in the world that was before the cross. And so if you are a historian, uh, you might say, oh, there is a physical reality and influence to why we date um, history that way, okay? And maybe if you are a historian, you might say, no, right? that's just a physical thing. Never mind, right? We know at a spiritual level, nothing has been the same since. Now, I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 28. So I'm going to pop my Genesis 28 um, here on my screen. And I'm going to show you <clears throat> what happens to Jacob. Okay, now this is long long time prior jacob is it has just stolen the blessing of his brother um of his brother uh esau sorry i lost my train of thought because the lights are being turned on and off here by the kids okay um uh, jacob has just stolen the blessing of his brother esau and his mother has just told him dude your brother is going to find you. He's going to guard you. You better run, right? This is it. That's it, you know. Uh, whatever you have done is selfish. It's for yourself. But that's it, man. If you want to live for yourself like that, um, this is my own commentary. You want to live for yourself like that, it's going to be a lonely life, okay? It's going to be a lonely run by yourself until God settles you with yourself. Go. Take flight, right? Jacob takes flight. He runs he wants the good things in life he wants the good things in life for himself there is a kind of hunger in him for the best that is out there i don't even know if he can say the best that god can give he just has a hunger for the best blessing and he and he's prepared to take it off his own brother and there is a little bit that's admirable about that kind of hunger and there is some that is not admirable about the lack of lack of uh I don't know what you can call it, family, right? 
By the way, there's a little bit of noise. I hope that it's not too noisy for you. Now, Jacob is very grey, right? That way. And so he's running. He's on the run. And Jacob leaves Beersheba, Beersheba, and runs toward Haran. By the way, toward Haran is running back to where his Akong came from. Because Abraham left Haran, you know, um, and, and, uh, and started sojourning with God, right? And now Jacob is running back toward Haran, and he came to a certain place, stayed there that night, because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place. He had put it under his head, lay down in that place to sleep. So picture this, he picks up a stone from wherever this place is, he lies on that stone, stone as a pillar. At least he has a place to lay his head, right? Son of man has no place to lay his head. It's not meant to be a, a, a meaningful reference, but I just, I just see that when I see this verse. And while he was laying on that stony pillow, he dreamed, verse 12, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it reached the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, the Lord stood above it, above it. But the Hebrew translation for above it could also mean by its side. So you actually really don't know um, uh, uh, the mechanics of this ladder. But the Lord stood above it, here in the ESV, and behold, he, the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. At this point, there's no God of Jacob because Jacob... He's still has still is still yet to wrestle with whether or not this really is his God. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and your offspring shall be all the families, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. Then Jacob awoke from right awoke from his sleep and said surely the lord yahweh is in this place and i did not know it and he was afraid right he feared god and said how awesome is this place this is none other than bethel the house of god beth house l for god bethel this is the house of god and this is the My gosh guys this is the gate of heaven this is the gate of heaven swing back to peter you are the son of god you are the son of the living god jesus says i will build my church on this confession and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you right Wow. Wow. Now, when Nathaniel, when Nathaniel confesses Jesus as God, as Christ, right, as the King of Kings, Jesus brings to his mind 
of course, if you are Israelite of Israelite, a Jew of Jews, right, um, in whom there is no that there, there, there is no blemish, okay, or in whom there is there is no deceit, not blemish, no, no deceit. You're going to remember this story about Jacob and the ladder. You're going to remember that that once upon a time, one of my forefathers himself saw a ladder, and the and the gates uh, and, and the gate of heaven opened up. Right, the gate of heaven opened up, and angels and were descending and ascending. Transaction between the spirit world and the earthly world was taking place. Jacob suddenly saw; he had eyes to see it. That's amazing, guys. That's just amazing. That once upon a time. Now, this is where we are coming to the points that I really want you to remember. Once upon a time, for a guy who is really a scoundrel, he is really a no good scoundrel with a hunger that is, I would say, admirable in many ways, and yet not admirable in other ways. But there is something in him that, that craves, that longs, that desires for something more than this. Life has to be more than this. Every day, tend to sheep, do this, do that, and 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 die with 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 a pittance of blessing in my life. And Jacob thought there has to be more than life, more to life than this. I want something more, right? It's a bit like, 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 like there's this hunger. I was going to make a reference um, uh, uh, to some Pixar, for some Disney film, but I realized that. That no one, I, I don't think anyone will catch it, right? Uh, and so, my friends, Jacob has a hunger, but Jacob is also um, a real scoundrel. Now, how many of you guys, you feel you look back at your past, you feel like, gosh, I'm actually not like Nathaniel, right? I'm not like without deceit, right? And even Nathaniel had like had like a sassy moment there, right? Like when I think of myself. I feel like I'm just a no, like like someone trying his best, you know, uh, uh, to make it in life. I don't know if I deserve to see great spiritual transactions taking place. I don't know if I deserve to see God or to see the Son of God or to see powerful things. I, I'm just a normal guy, man. I'm just a normal guy, right? Right? And and normal guys don't see normal uh, abnormal things, right? Or uh, natural people don't see supernatural things, right? But God gave a scoundrel like Jacob eyes, spiritual eyes, to see spiritual transactions with the physical realm. Now, if Jacob could see it, do we stand a chance? Maybe. Because I don't think Jacob was that admirable a guy, right? I think his whole story is there to tell us that not admirable people can wrestle with God, right? And be brought to a place where God gives us a new identity and for us to be able to make God our God, right? To make Yahweh our God. Now, Nathaniel confesses Jesus as king. We confess Jesus as king. We just sang a song that ends on praise of praise of Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of heaven, majesty, praise forever to the king of kings right we on that confession you and i can see spiritual transaction on that confession you and i can become become stewards of the gates of heaven stewards of the gateways 
of heavenly things so that God can access our spiritual world and take hold. And this brings me to my two points. My sermon today has two points and the two points are coming at the end. Okay, because I'm, I'm not going to go for very much longer. When we say altar, I really don't want you to think of, of African pastors, Uganda, uh, 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 Pastor Lichu, because that's very, that, that is very, very, what's the, what's the right way to say this? It is very um, contextualized to our SIBKL church experience. And it's not good enough. Because maybe you might say, that's not my scene. And then suddenly, altars is not important to you, right? But it, altars is not about scene or not scene. S-C-E-N-E. It's not about a scene. It's not about a Christian scene. Like, oh, African pastor put a scene. It's not my scene. I don't do that. Then suddenly, if another person, dude, I love it. When's the next time uh, uh, um, John Mulindi is coming? And then you and Zalok can go, right? Because Zalok uh, 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 was there. He talked us to us. Then suddenly, African pastor scene, then I'm there. Right? That altars are important to me. No, I don't want this idea of an altar to become an ecclesiastical kind of scene or not scene. Because I, I, I feel sometimes it is. Because maybe some parts of the church are banging on about this, and then other parts of the church are not. And then you see, and you say that, oh, I don't really equal ABC type of pastor, so suddenly the whole altar thing is not important to you. It shouldn't. Why? Because the cross is the most powerful altar. You believe in the cross, the power of the cross. You believe in the power of the sacrifice on the cross, of the most precious sacrifice on the cross. Then altars is for you. And then you, and, and then after that, you don't have to read uh, uh, John Mulini's book, or you can read John Mulini's book. You can be trained by Pastor Lee Chu, or you can be trained by your Bible. Either way, altars is for you. Why? Because we are cross-centered, Christ centered, sacrifice, uh, 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 sustained Christians. And if that is you, altars are important to you. And we should not go like, uh, all this prayer altar scene is not my scene. That is, it should not be that way. And so, my friends, there are two things about an altar that is extremely important. Um, Actually, three, three things about an altar that is extremely important. Um, and, and I just want to give it to you blow by blow by blow. Bethel was a place of physical, of physical return. Bethel was a place of regular return. Right? And the first two that I want to share is this. For your altar, whatever altar, an altar is a place where there is some sacrifice and you invoke God's name, you declare him to be mighty, you invite him into that place. And literally, altar is a gate of heaven. If you really want to say, put it that way, the altar is a gate of heaven. And I showed you on the train tracks, the train lines, about the intersecting points between heaven and earth. Okay, today's sermon is a sister sermon of that. An altar is a gate of heaven where, where, where angels and spiritual things transact. God himself is the conduit for transaction. Now, two things are going to make your altar a powerful one or a present one or an active one or a meaningful one. 
the failure of which it will be a coal smoldering hardly smoldering like you know imagine like fire half on half off not blazing but just like that kind of order right and these two are this number one the physicality of it and number two the regularity of it and then i'm going to talk about sacrifice later physicality of it my friends bethel was the place where abraham had stopped Bethel was the place where Abraham offered prayer to God. And then two generations down, Bethel was the place where Jacob laid his head and got that dream. Bethel would also be the place in Genesis 35 where God says to him, where, where Jacob happens to sojourn through battle again and, and God reaffirms to Jacob that I am your God and you belong to me. Right? My friends, for some reason, reasons that our globalized hearts would rather ignore, there is power to the physicality and the territorialness of where you are, where you set up altar. In other words, there is a territorial element to pray. There is a territorial element to gateways. There is a territorial element to transaction between spiritual world and physical world. But of course, you should have seen this coming. Because if there is no, ter if there is no territorial, physical territorialness, then you would be over-spiritualizing it. But we are an interfacing of physical and spiritual realities. And because of that, of course, there has to be some territorial uh, uh, um, element, some physical element to it. And so, my friends, I really do want to encourage you, not just to pray in your head and in your heart in a random way, but I want to encourage you to establish a physical element to your prayer and to your altars, to your invitation of God. And so, here in Sungai Buloh, Wherever, on, the, on all, every Saturday where we possibly can, we gather in this era. And maybe it's extra fitting, I should say this, on a weekend where we can't gather physically, that we gather normally in this era. And that is a physical altar. That is a physical place. It is physical territory. And, 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 and we call it dominate altar, and I said this to death, because God dominates that physical atmosphere. God has to dominate whatever physical atmosphere you occupy and so my friends i want to say this then bring it down to earth for you where do you do your praying order i'm very curious where do you do your praying order you do your praying in your bedroom by your bed on your bed under the sheets you do your praying in the car between a and b you do your praying um, at your at your dining table every morning when you're doing your quiet time where do you do your praying I will tell you that is a place of altar. That is your place that you have established as a regular place of return. And God acknowledges that. God works through that. God works through gateways he opens in physical realities so that transaction takes place there. I can't explain it. Some people go to Israel and they say, I just feel something different. I can't explain it. 
So the first point is this. There is a physical return element to your altars. Make sure or, or, or do your best whenever you establish a habit of praying, a habit and a lifestyle of, of invoking God's name. Establish a regularity to where you do that invoking because there is power to the territorial uh, 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 claim over where you open gates of heaven. So bear that in mind. Second point. First point is territory. Second point is regularity. Bethel was the place of return, of physical return. Uh, Bethel was the place where, where, where Jacob came back and came back and came back, right? Now, I want you to know this. Every relationship becomes stronger when there is intensity of transaction and regularity of return. If you don't have one of the two, you will not have a real friendship. You will not have a real relationship. You know, frankly, you can't really have an affair, okay, if you don't have the two, right? Like, like real, non, unless you have a one night stand, right? That's a, that's a different, and that, that's, a, that's its own kind of gateway that you open up, right? And it's important that we can talk about this and understand that in every kind of interaction, the biggest two factors is the regularity, okay? And of course, how intense, how precious is the sacrifice, right? Okay, and, and so my friends, I want to talk about the regularity. You return, you return, you honor it, you keep going back, there is power. An altar that is not serviced, an altar that is not layaned, an altar that is not bothered with, it's like a broken down altar. We see this in the history of Israel when their altars um, they, they are not serviced because the temple is in ruin and no one lays fresh sacrifice on the altar. The country, the entire nation goes into spiritual and physical disrepair. Same forever. Same for us. There is a necessary returning back. If you are not consistent with your altar, I can tell you, you will not see power. If you pray only whenever you like, at whatever time you like, um, there is, again, I can't explain it. God has just ordained it that way. He has just built it into the mechanism that way, right? Friends, you don't know why your computer works that way. You don't know why the chips work that way unless like one of you is like a computer builder, right? Maybe you understand these things. Most of us don't. We don't know why our devices work the way they work, but we, we, we use them. We use our devices every single day of our lives. Same thing at work here. I can't explain to you why. The regularity of coming back to an altar is, invokes a certain power, but I see it at work. I see that in the seasons where I was regular with one particular time slot, I was faithful to it, I kept coming back and coming back and coming back, that things were different. When I prayed, the atmosphere was different. When I entered into spiritual battle, the atmosphere was different. I can feel it when you know, my friends, I can feel it when. Can you feel it? That's why it's so important, even when we cannot meet physically, so I below church, we meet, we, we meet temporally at X o'clock, we don't we don't neglect the servicing of this service, 
right? We don't neglect the servicing of this gathering because this too is a place where God's name is invoked. He is, this is an altar in some way. And so my friends, where you pray is important. How you repeat and the rhythms and, uh, and the repeat of your prayer is important. Which leads me to the last one is the sacrifice. The sacrifice you lay down at the altar is important. We are in, a, we are in 40 days of fasting and praying and the fasting is the sacrifice. The fasting is what you have laid down. What you have laid down so that you can bring before God something that is pleasing, that is worthy, that is precious to you, you can lay that down. And some of you are laying down uh, 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 fasts and things that are very precious to you and you struggle. The first two weeks was hellish for you because you had to adjust to a different kind of thing, right? That's powerful to you. And my prayer is that there will be spiritual transaction happening where you are. That's what kingdom looks like. That is what kingdom looks like. And so with this, I want to share with you one closing story. It is not my own. It is a friend's story. And this friend was in, um, in Berlin. And when this friend was in Berlin, uh, he was visiting numerous places. And one of the places he visited is the temple, um, um, uh, the, the temple of Pergamum, uh, which has been lifted out of ancient Pergamum and brought to Berlin, right? Um, and if you look at, at Revelation uh, chapter, I forget if it's one or two or three, uh, the temple of Pergamum is the gate of Satan. Right? It is the altar of Satan. And then there is, the, there is a gate of Ishtar, which is like the gate of, um, of Satan, right? My friends, this guy, this friend of mine, went to the temple of Pergamum as a museum to visit, right? And it's like, okay, la, maybe you think physical only, la, physical only, la, seat of Satan, right? Yeah, Pastor Ramesh, thanks, right? Um, uh, museum only, la, right? Went in the whole the, the 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 temple of Pergamon part. Some of it was closed, okay, but they had taken out the 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 altar to Zeus, and they had moved the altar to a part of the museum where they had displays, okay. And so my friend went in and immediately felt off spiritually off. Immediately felt it one, okay. So spiritual senses are strong, right? Off, and then couldn't tell what it was. Started reading the blacks. And then suddenly came upon Temple of Pergamum. Yeah, Pergamum. Uh, came upon um, one plaque at the area that said Altar of Zeus. The moment my friend saw Altar of Zeus right there, a pain shot through his back. And this, this is a friend who does not have back pains, one. Okay, so I ruled out exactly. Okay, uh, a pain shot through his back. It was so crippling. For five hours, this friend had to like hobble, sit on the floor, lie on the on the floors of outdoor parks in Berlin because he could not walk. And whoever he was traveling with had to move ahead without him until they happened to chance upon some Christians, one who was a pastor, okay, and, and they happened to chance upon each other, okay, and they prayed for this friend and the back pain immediately lifted. And then they got to talking. Actually, what, where, where do you visit? Huh? Oh, um, I was at the 
Pergamum altar in Berlin, right? Uh, uh, Pergamon, sorry, not Pergamon, Pergamon, right? I was at the Pergamon altar just before this. And the guys were like, dude, why you go there? Right? Christians, why you go there? Right? And and, and they're like, oh, yeah, no lie, of course, but spiritual sense already strong, right? Still, it happened. And and they said that actually, um, it's not just the, the altar of Zeus is not just a, a museum display. Every night, um, uh, uh, people have access, certain groups um, have access to the museum grounds, to the altar of Zeus, and they perform sacrifices there. Right? Um, I, I don't know you you want to call it um, uh, the occultic groups uh, um, um, in Berlin uh, have an arrangement where they have, they have access to that altar um, uh, of Zeus uh, someone lah, okay and so this friend of mine realized oh my word it's not just a museum uh, 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 display the altar of Zeus at the Pergamon altar in, in the Pergamon temple in Berlin is an active altar it's a living altar. There's fresh sacrifice on it all the time. And this Christian friend went there, boom, immediately gonna spiritual attack. Why? Because it was a gateway. Because that place was a gateway and some spiritual transaction was taking place. Now, this is like a 101 on holy and unholy altars, right? That was an unholy altar. If you never heard of one, bro, friends, that's one, right? Now, if an unholy altar can have people and its priests are sacrificing there every night, in spite of the fact that it, by any other, by any other stretch of your imagination, should only be a museum, how regular are our altars? How physical? And, and, and territorial are our altars. What are we doing? Are we planting the cross in our world? Is the cross being planted in our lives? Is there a gateway for King Jesus to be king where we live, where we work? This is my call for every single one of us. If you come from a prayer altar background, you have attended all the trainings, I don't think you super needed this. Maybe the story of my friend was, was a good one. And maybe you helped to see the, the biblical foundations beneath it. But if you don't come from a prayer altar background, I really hope today helps you to see that prayer altar is not just a Christian scene. That prayer altar is about planting the cross wherever you are and a gate of heaven opens up where it is and things change in the physical when transaction is established. Suzanne, why don't you lead us to this? Can you, I want to encourage you to just have your communion emblems with you, even as we partake of communion together. And as you partake of this communion together, let us remember that as we remember the cross, we are invoking an altar. As we remember and reenact the cross, we are reenacting the cross. So, community is so powerful. As we reenact the cross, transaction takes place, gates are open.
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for your body broken on the cross. We thank you, Lord God, that the cross is a place of the greatest sacrifice. Today, we remember that sacrifice as we partake of this bread. Unite us in your love and through this reenactment of the cross, open up a gateway for heaven to come to earth where we live. Let us partake of this bread together. After supper had ended, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, yes, in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the blood of Jesus that was spilled on the cross in a way that reminds us of the blood of bulls and rams that was spilled at the ancient altars splattered on the side of the altar stone and today we remember the blood of jesus staining the cross this same blood which was shed for every single one of us for the forgiveness of our sins sins for the redeeming of us out of darkness into light for the transference of us from one allegiance to the kings of this world, to, the, to Satan himself, ultimately, to a new allegiance under King Jesus, this blood, which we remember right now through the taking of communion. Lord, we give you thanks for it. Let us partake of this cup together. Father, we want to thank you. We want to praise you. We want to glory in you, Lord God. We want to say, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one. Lord of heaven, majesty. And as we praise him, gates are opening where you are. Praise forever to the King of kings. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and through you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you. May Shalom come upon where you are. And all of God's people say, Amen.